You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. A busy day today because it was a busy day on Tuesday. All sorts of NFL news to get to. Uh, running back a Palooza is how we're going to start the show. Uh, the Vikings did make a decision on Riley Reef, and that has repercussions for week one. No longer has repercussions for the potential Packers roster, though I will share that take with you. And then some really, really, really positive COVID numbers uh, at the end of the show. I just want to I just want to share those with you if you didn't see them. Uh, TLDR, the, the league is doing a very good job. The players, uh, its coaches and staff are doing a very good job so far of keeping everyone safe. But let's start with what was a busy day on Tuesday. First, the report came out Monday from Adam Schefter that Alvin Kamara had not been at a number of practices in a row and that it was part of a contract dispute. Then reports on Tuesday were that Alvin Kamara was interested in a trade or that the Saints were looking to trade him. And and that distinction is important. We don't know as of now which side wants the trade. Maybe both sides want the trade. But apparently the Saints are exploring their options there. Uh, They want a first-round pick, according to reports. And the driver of that, Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, saying is the chasm between the two in terms of the numbers that they want. Alvin Kamara wants something closer to the Christian McCaffrey $16 million a year. The Saints apparently much more interested in a $12 million per year number, which is what the Bengals gave Joe Mixon. That leads to unrest. That leads to, hey, I don't know if this is going to work. And then that ultimately leads to trade rumors and trade explorations, apparently, from the New Orleans Saints. And this is something that is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening with an NFC contender. If the Saints trade Alvin Kamara, the Saints are not nearly as good a team. And I was trying to think, you know, who? what if it's a player-for-player player trade? What if they make that work? And is there someone that they could trade for? Well, I would go, oh, no, it's over. And I, and I don't know who's doing that because in order to trade Kamara, you need to give him a new contract in all likelihood. So if someone's going to trade for him, they have to pay up that price. They have to give him $14-plus million. The number of teams who are even able to do that is pretty small, and it's just an unlikely scenario. This is probably going to lead us to the Saints giving him somewhere in that 
13, 14 million dollar range for a team that's almost 80 million over the cap in 2021 already. That would be quite the move. This is the year to go for it if you're the New Orleans Saints. The problem for the Packers in all of this is they still have a decision to make on Aaron Jones. And this is something that has come up a number of times as running backs get these contracts. And I put this out on Twitter. If the Packers gave Aaron Jones a four-year, $48 million deal like the one given to Joe Mixon, is that a good deal for Green Bay? And I would say it was about 50-50. Half of the respondents liked the deal and the other half thought, no way, way too much. And I tend to fall on the side of, I don't think he's going to get $12 million. I don't think he can command $12 million at this point. That was what Kamara was going to get. He's a more proven player, uh, certainly a more high-profile player, and stuff like that matters. I think it's more likely on the open market Kamara is going to get that money than Aaron Jones would, even though I think Aaron Jones is every bit as good a player. And oh, by the way, the pro football focus grades for those guys over their careers Agree, Aaron Jones actually a slightly better grade than Kamara has. So if you're the Packers, where do you, not what do you do? Because the answer to what do you do is you try and get the best deal that you can. What does that look like? What does that look like? And unfortunately, we don't have a great response to that. Now, there is this chasm when you look at running back salaries. There is this group of guys at the top. And then there is this sort of middle class. There isn't really an upper middle class. There isn't really, you know, if you if you are from the Milwaukee area, there isn't really a, a Brookfield class of running backs. There isn't really, a, a, you know, a, a River Hills. And maybe that is even is even too much in, in terms of running backs. It's guys making eight million a year and then guys making 12 million a year plus. You're looking at the franchise tag. You're looking at the Derrick Henry deals. And there's really no one in that 9, 10. You know, Todd Gurley wasn't able to get the top of market money. He was hurt. Melvin Gordon coming off a year where he was hurt was still able to get $8 million. Is it the case that a quote-unquote franchise running back, they start at $12 million? It seems to me that the Saints and the Bengals giving or willing to give their guys 12 million says that's what upper echelon guys get. Mixon is on a bad team with plenty of cap space. It makes some sense. It certainly makes more sense for a team like that to give out their money to a running back to help your rookie quarterback, your young quarterback figure it out. And you have a, a security blanket. You get him involved in the passing game, check down someone who can be useful there. Okay. And, and by the time that you need to pay Joe Burrow, that mixing contract is gone and you don't have to worry about it because you do have to spend the money somewhere. Green Bay is not in that position. They are already over the projected cap for 2021. I don't know if that's going to be real. And I, I think it's a little unfair that, that we're looking at it like that. I mean, the Saints are, like I said, 80 million over the cap. The Eagles are 90 million over the cap for 2021. I just don't see a scenario where teams are this far over the projected cap and the NFL is going, nope, this is it. This is the deal. I, mean, I think they're going to find ways to squeeze out revenue. I think they're going to find ways to figure this out, to smooth, do whatever they need to do 
so that all of a sudden you're not cutting 20, 30, 40 million off the projected cap number because it's just untenable. But let's just assume Green Bay has these other priorities. We know what those other priorities are. We know David Bakhtiari is someone who they want to sign. They just signed Kenny Clark. Although it's not the reason they did it with Kenny Clark, the post-2021 money is there you know, for a number of reasons. One is so that they can restructure if they need to, but also that's when that media deal is going to kick in, the new media deal. So if the salary cap is going to go way up and you can keep the, the, the cap hit relatively low in 2020 and 2021 for Aaron Jones, maybe you just do it and say, well, by the time we get to 2022 and 2023, it's not going to matter because the cap is going to go up so much that it's not going to impact anyone's deal Moving forward, so the Packers have to decide what that number is. I still think it's going to fall in that eight to ten million dollar, that upper middle class range, that Brookfield range. That's what I think Aaron Jones is worth. It's a number that I would be comfortable with if I were the Packers. I think he is a, a unique player. He obviously fits ideally with what they want to be, and it's not unique for. Shanahan tree teams, even though running backs, as we know, are replaceable. The 49ers spent a bunch of money on Jerick McKinnon. They spent a bunch of money on Tevin Coleman. And the Rams spent a bunch of money on Todd Gurley. Now, they they cut him, but that was because he was hurt. Derrick Henry just got a bunch of money. So these teams value the running back position enough to say, we know what the analytics say and we don't care He's a really good player, and so he's worth it to us. They can figure this all out with the cap. They can, If they want to keep Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari and Devontae Adams and Kevin King and all these guys, they can do it. You can always do it. It's whether or not you want to put in the effort to make it work financially. And the, what they do with Aaron Rodgers is going to impact that. There's just no way around it. I mean, the, the, the length of time that Rodgers is on this team affects what they're able to do, especially because after 2021, with this COVID bump that may happen in the cap, bump down, that's when they can also get out of a bunch of the Aaron Rodgers money. And so that that affects the way that you build this team too. I think you look at what your plan is and you say, okay, if we think 2020 and 2021 are the years of Aaron Rodgers, then you have to build your team accordingly and and you get to build your team accordingly. That's the benefit of having a long-term vision is you have the foresight to make these moves with those future moves in mind. And speaking of future moves, it's hard to make any if your car is not working properly. But if you do have issues, who do you turn to? Where do you go if you need to replace a headlight or you need to replace a gas cap or any of the various things that can go wrong on your car. And it's a simple part fix. You can just replace the part, not a big deal. RockAuto.com wants to make that easier for you. One of the reasons this all gets confusing is the makes, the models, the manufacturers. There's so many different things to account for, including are you a do-it-yourselfer? Are you a mechanic? A lot of stores have different prices. Rock Auto doesn't work like that. They're a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers and pay one low price no matter 
who you are. RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. So the Vikings and Riley Reef were able to work out uh, a contract reworking and that helps them bring in Yannick Ngakwe who signed for even less than we thought uh, and puts the Vikings in a position to keep their offensive line mostly intact. I don't know how much it matters against the Packers. It matters in this way. They don't have to be doing major line reshuffling two weeks before week one. That's the positive for them. Maybe you had to, to flip Brian O'Neill. Maybe you had to play Ezra Cleveland at tackle. You know, there were some other options that had been discussed. Mike Zimmer had thrown out there. It looks like they're going to keep Riley Reef at left tackle. O'Neill on the right. You've got Bradbury in the, at, at the center spot. You've got Dozier. You've got Elfline. That line is still not good. And you go back to last year. The Packers against the Vikings offensive line in two games created 40 pressures according to Pro Football Focus. 40 pressures. 22 in the first game, 18 in the second game, and Zadarius Smith was unblockable. But it wasn't just Zadarius Smith. We remember Zadarius Smith. In the first game, Garrett Bradbury gave up six pressures and three sacks. In the two games, he gave up 11 pressures and three sacks. He could not block Kenny Clark. And there is no indication that that will change. In the two games, Riley Reef gave up six total pressures. Three pressures each in 16 and 2. Dakota Dozier only played in week two. He gave up six pressures, four hurries, and two hits. Not very good. And Pat Elfline is one of the worst starting offensive linemen in football. So, does it help that they have continuity? Sure it does. Is it going to help them block Kenny Clark? Is it going to help them block Zedarius and Preston Smith? Is it going to help them block the ascending Rashawn Gary? Is it going to help them block Kingsley Kiki, who's been disruptive in camp to this point? Is it going to help them communicate and be able to pick up the pressure looks that Green Bay put together? Because last year, Mike Pettin absolutely beguiled Kirk Cousins, Kevin Stefanski, and that Minnesota Vikings offense. I mean, uh, Matt Bowen put up a, an interesting play on Twitter. It was a five-man pressure look, and they only bl- brought three. And it was a twist with Zadarius Smith, who beat his one-on-one block coming across the field and got a sack on Kirk Cousins. You rush three, so two double teams and a single block, and you get home for a sack. Mike Patton was outstanding last year. In terms of defensive coordinators, he's the only one allowed to rush three because he's going to show six or seven and only bring three. And that's how you can create pressure doing something like that. They did this to the Vikings pretty consistently. And I know that there's been some consternation. Oh, you know, Dalvin Cook didn't play in the second game and he played really well in the first game. Well, not really. He averaged four yards a carry outside of the 75-yarder. Now, that's a little bit like saying, other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Because the 75-yard touchdown is potentially backbreaking in another context. The Packers happened to be up 21-0 at the time, so it didn't seem like as big a deal. 
It was also a play that Kenny Clark was not on the field, and Darnell Savage, who was a rookie in Week 2, took a terrible angle. Presumably, Kenny Clark will be on the field this year, and Savage, you hope, takes a better angle. He also did not play well in that 49er game. And, and you have to, if you're the Packers, believe in his growth and development because in some of the games and in some of the plays where they had big plays allowed in the run game, it was bad safety play, bad angles by Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage or you know Shannon Sullivan, Kevin King, even Jair Alexander. That's something that they have to get worked out, of course. Riley Reef coming back, though, and that's the point of this. They still can't block anybody. And they were not a good blocking team last year. Uh, they are pretty good in the run game. But, like, who cares? I don't know. Is that a hot take? It doesn't really matter to me. You go back and you look at the pro football focus numbers, and I know that it's not the end-all, be-all, but the Vikings were 27th in pass blocking grade. 27th. Here are the teams that were worse. The Jets, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Chargers, the Dolphins. It's not great. And they were a step below the 2-14 and 14 Bengals. <laughs> In fact, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 teams ahead of them were teams that had losing records. The Bengals 2-14, and 14, the Falcons 7-9, and nine, the Jaguars 6-10, and 10, Panthers 5-11, and 11, Washington 3-13, and 13, Lions 3-12-1. All ahead of the Vikings last year in pass blocking grade. They can't protect Kirk Cousins. And the Packers pass rush could be even better. So, okay, it's not as bad as it could have been. It's not rest in the most peace, Kirk Cousins and Ezra Cleveland. But it might still be the first one. Because Green Bay's pass rush dominated both games against the Vikings. And that is unlikely to change. In fact, if anything, that advantage is likely to tilt even more in favor of the Green Bay Packers. As we finish up here, I think it's worth noting the the good job the NFL is doing. Because I came into this dubious, and I said as much on this show. I was not really a believer in the NFL's potential efficacy in protecting players. And kudos to the players for saying, we're not going to play if you don't figure this out, if you do not make sure that we can do this in a healthy and safe way, we're just not going to do it. We don't want to do it. Sorry, not sorry. And by the way, I think that's a totally reasonable position to have taken. And it worked. And now we have, you know, the technology has come out. Abbott Labs came out with a quick test that has an accuracy level that's close to some of these other tests, you know, in the 90% range in terms of of sensitivity, and you can get a test in 15 minutes. And, you know, you could show up to the facility, get a test, and know before practice starts if you're positive. And what what has allowed, even without that, though, the NFL said that from August 21st through the 29th, they performed almost 60,000 tests. Now, of course, a lot of those are retests because you get tested every day. But 58,621 tests were performed, 10 positives. 10. Four players, six staff. 10 in 60,000 tests. Now that's 10 people. So, you know, multiple tests, et cetera, et cetera. But that's impressive. 
to have 32 teams, hundreds of employees and players involved, and to only have 10 positives with no outbreaks, by the way. Because one, we know this is a contagious disease. This is a very contagious virus. One player can make it 10 players in a hurry. And yet, because they're doing this every day, because they're turning around quickly, because they're isolating and putting these guys on the COVID list right away, isolating staffers and coaches, etc. There haven't been outbreaks, even though there have been positive tests. And this is the hope because there's going to be positive tests. We know this. Brian Goodykin said as much. Even if you have the best testing protocols, you're still going to have positive tests because these guys go home. They still have to go to the grocery store. They still have kids who could be going to school. They still have partners, spouses, you know, whatever it is who are out in the world. And they're not being tested every day. And even if you're being safe, you're still at risk for the virus unless you literally do nothing. You literally stay home. And it's like the old joke that the only foolproof birth control is abstinence and even that has failure rates. Even if you do everything right, you can still get this and you could still transfer it to you know whoever else it is that is the player and then they can transfer it to teammates, staff, etc. The fact that we haven't had those outbreaks and, and we're now several weeks into this system. Baseball had issues by now. And so the NFL said, look, we're not going to get complacent. We're going to make sure that we stay on this. Hopefully the players are able to do the same. Travel shouldn't be an issue because they're flying private. And, you know, they usually have basically a private passage through the airport. It's not a it's not really a problem where they're going to be around a lot of people to travel. They're going to be around each other. And that's the point. You only want them around each other. I mean, the NFL is saying we have 32 regional bubbles and it's working. Well, it's working. That's not just a joke. It's working. And we have to acknowledge that because we want these games to happen. I want these games to happen. I want you to be listening to me on Mondays, breaking down games, not talking about how many players were out with COVID or how long the season has to be suspended or why we canceled the season. No one wants that. No one wants that. And takes of, oh, there are a lot of sports writers cheering for this. Stop. Stop. We want there to be games. I want there to be games. I want us to be sitting here every day talking about football, talking about what had happened and what will happen. And hopefully we're talking about it into January and, you know, best case scenario, February too. And hopefully by then we can do that in person. We can be in the in the stadium. I can be in the locker room. I can be, you know, doing the thing. You can be in the, in the in the stands, drinking beer, having brats, and we can be past all of this. That, of course, is the goal. In the meantime, we have to do everything we can to make sure that we're keeping each other safe. If you live in Green Bay, everything you can to keep these Packers players safe. If you live in Milwaukee, to keep the Brewers safe. No, you you should be doing it to keep everyone safe. We all need to play our parts in making sure uh, as many people that can be safe are safe. So please do your part. Also, uh, not the same level of, uh, of urgency or intensity, but you're listening to the show. You like the Packers. Subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. And anytime you want to hit us up, 
on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay 